This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show coming your direction uh, live at 1211 Sixth Avenue. Uh, we're in New York, but heard around the country. This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Howard Keitel, President and CEO of the Andrew Jackson Hermitage uh, Foundation. The Hermitage is where Andrew Jackson called home. This uh, uh, this orphan ended up being one of the richest people in the country and two-term president, major general. It's a great story, but not good enough for many of these rioters who have defiled his statue in Jacksonville, named after him. In the New Orleans, he saved the city. And in Washington, across from the White House, because he defined a generation. You might not like everything he did, but man, he was a president that mattered of impact and importance, and yet they want to destroy his legacy, and many others. We'll talk about that. And Senator Mike Lee is standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've said all along, if the positivity rate or the hospitalization rate increase too much, we have strategies to reduce the spread of COVID-19 without having to return to stay-at-home policies. And stay-at-home policies are a non-starter, a spike. The Houston, in Houston, in Texas in particular, Houston, Texas is in the most peril. 30 states see a rise in COVID cases, Oklahoma to South Carolina, but another lockdown, thankfully, not on the table. We will bring you the latest. Number two. This statue right here embodies the white supremacy and the disempowerment of black people. That is why we're carrying this statue down. They're coming for for Lincoln today. The Lincoln Emancipation Statue, that is. Can they be stopped? Uh, They better be. Meanwhile, the attacks on our history and the statue's monuments that commemorate it continue. The president has asked the U.S. Marshals to get involved. Park police to be enacted. More are prepared to respond today. They better. Number one. What the decision today is really, it's a good thing for, for General Flynn. It's a good thing for me. It's a good thing for my family. But it's really a great boost of confidence for the American people in our justice system. That is Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. He is free, perhaps. Seems like an appeals court finishes what William Barr started, and that's the exoneration of General Flynn on his Federalist charges and even more uh, memes uh, and even more names emerge linking the investigation right to President Obama and Vice President Biden. But I want to put that story on hold and talk about the war on history. Senator Mike Lee is a wonderful historian, great writer, and has a passion for our past as well as our present. Senator Lee, through all the turbulence we're going through with this virus, this pandemic, the civil unrest that's led to the destruction of our past, how do you categorize that? It's a sad development, Brian. And this is a movement. These lawless, violent mobs must be stopped. Law enforcement has to stop them. And our elected leaders 
need to support the police against the mobs. What we're witnessing really is an all-out war on the founding of our country by the elite liberal media. The New York Times has explicitly said that their 1619 project is designed to undermine the founding of our country. The author of the 1619 project has probably taken credit for the violence and the rioting that we've seen. This has to end, and it has to end now. This is not who we are. Well, I mean, today at seven o'clock, they're coming for uh, they're coming for the Lincoln statue. Yeah, and this is the president who issued the Emancipation Proclamation, who led uh, a, a noble effort to overcome slavery. It, this doesn't make sense, uh, separate and apart from the dangers. Uh, to society at large, even to the protesters themselves, that it causes when people lawlessly try to pull down statues. Uh, it, it is internally in conflict with itself. They should be celebrating Abraham Lincoln, not denigrating him, certainly not toppling his statue. See, in this situation, uh, African-Americans or uh, whoever shows up there, I said in the past, I don't really like the way African-Americans are portrayed. It shows a man. By the way, it's if you research this, it's over an actual American who's a freed slave. And he shows him breaking his chains and standing up on his own, looking muscular. People say, well, no, that's that's not the image that they want. And my answer to them is. Look it up. Frederick Douglass dedicated that statue, wrote a long speech about that statue, was financed by uh, by freed slaves. They rose, raised the money. It was it was designed by an American in Italy, and he'd go into detail about what he did about it. I don't think any statue can live up from generation to generation to generation. I never thought we were even categorizing it that way. Yeah, we certainly shouldn't be, and that uh, right there brings up another point, Brian. This is uh, something I've discussed with Shannon Brain the other day. That these statues, in addition to all the other arguments, all the historical arguments, everything else, they're not their property. Look, if somebody owns a statue and they want to deface a statue that they own, go right ahead. It seems foolish to me, but do it if you want to. But you can't take something that belongs to someone else and destroy it without that person's permission. In the case of something that's owned by a city or a state or the federal government, uh, the appropriate response to that is to get elected officials to act if you don't like a particular statute or if you're offended by it. But it's not appropriate to just take the law into your own hands and decide that you're going to destroy it. That's wrong, and we've got to stop it. The way so, what I worry about too is people say, "Well, if they want to vote for it, move Washington. If the state legislature wants to vote for it, move Jefferson." I think that at one point we got to say, "Wait a second. No one thinks these people were perfect. No one thinks slavery was okay. But there would be no America without them in many cases." So where do you draw the line there? If a left wing legislature is elected in a city that happens to have James Madison or or, or George Washington. Are we supposed to just accept they're going to be spray painted, defiled, and thrown into a lake? Is are we Certainly really not. out of power? Certainly not. In in any community, in any country, where I ever live, if government officials decide to oust statues of. Madison or Washington or Lincoln or people like this, I'll certainly be against it. But as you say, there's no one who claims that those people were perfect. They themselves didn't claim that they were perfect. Nonetheless, they played an important role in our history, and they had very 
good qualities. And they had uh, a, a very significant and strong impact uh, on our country, which we ought to remember. When we write out our own history, we do so at our own peril. Hey, you know, I thought of you the other night when they were trying to pull down the Andrew Jackson statue in Washington. Uh, you wrote a great book, as I recall, a few years ago about Jackson. Uh, he's a fascinating figure in American history. I, I, and look, he, he did some bad things. There's no question about that. But he's also a fascinating historical figure. If for no other reason other than that he's interesting and he made his mark on this country and he loved this country, why not leave him up? Sure, we can talk about the good things he did and the bad things he did, too. You don't have to take down the statue. I never thought it was even in play until recently, and then I found out, and I'll talk to Howard Keitel about this shortly, uh, that they're most worried about New Orleans because uh, there is a real p- a political movement to move him out of New Orleans. The battle that defined him, that killed, that did, that had him defeat the British famously in 45 minutes, the same army that, that, that defeated Napoleon, we crush with an army that was put together in the, in the span of three and a half weeks. To me, you can't even dispute him as a military leader. You want to talk to him about controversy as a president, the Indian Removal Act, you want to talk to him about being a Democrat. You're a big-time Republican. This is a Democratic president. Uh, so they're where in Jacksonville, named after him. They're very worried there. There's security 24 hours. What I also shows me that the, this whole movement isn't something to, uh, so, to give homage to African-Americans who were taken here against their will. And I'm convinced of that about what happened with Wisconsin yesterday. They threw in to the lake uh, Colonel Hans Christian Haig who is a Norwegian abolitionist who fought with the Union. They destroyed a statue and threw it in the lake. I mean, what are you doing? Yeah, I, was, I was curious about that when I saw that. I thought, um, gosh, maybe there's something that I'm not aware of uh, with um, Norwegian abolitionist immigrants to the United States. Maybe there's some horrific uh, crime that they engaged in. No, no. His crime was that he stood up for the rights of his fellow beings and that he demanded that slaves be freed. Uh, uh, Either that or his statue happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and so they decided to take it down. This is silly. And, you know, I I understand that people uh, have emotions that run high, and sometimes they do things that are foolish. But what I don't understand is why people who are supposedly part of polite, educated society stand back, watch this, and do nothing to decry it, do nothing to distance themselves from it, do nothing to say this is wrong. And instead, many of them are taking credit for it, and I find that shameful. Well, put it this way, I've mentioned you uh, over the last few days, you, Tom Cotton, and Marco Rubio, the only ones who really are expressing outrage about what we're witnessing. We certainly don't see it from one single Democrat. To me, this is, a, this is not a Republican-Democrat issue. This is something I would think would happen if we were invaded by another country. They would go to our statue, our founding fathers, and look to send a message. We're doing it to ourselves now. Uh, the president has taken action. He has the U.S. He's told the U.S. Marshals to prepare to help protect these monuments. He also says a 10 year prison sentence for anyone caught defiling one of the monuments. Do you think this will help? Yes, it undoubtedly would. I mean, look, people will often do what they think they can get away with. And if they can do something without so much as a, a whimper or so much of, uh, of a vocalized objection. 
from uh, someone saying stop or I'll ask you to stop again. And then they might continue doing bad things. If, on the other hand, they believe that there's a substantial probability that they'll be arrested, charged and convicted and serve some time in prison, perhaps they won't do it. Uh, this is intuitive. We, we know this to be true. And so I applaud President Trump for taking action. It was sad to me a few weeks ago when we, we had a couple of hundred Utah National Guard special forces called to Washington, D.C., by the D.C. National Guard, by the way, to help protect D.C. While they were here, they were essentially evicted from their hotel by order of the mayor of Washington, D.C. I found that absolutely disgraceful. And I hope that sort of thing won't ever happen again. Yeah, it is a disgrace. I just want you to hear Ken Burns on Confederate statues, you know, the famed historian. What I know uh, from my reading of history is that the Confederate monuments have to go. We see that these are not monuments to history and heritage, but they're an attempt to rewrite history and to essentially celebrate. a. So you got the spirit of what he says. How do you feel about that? Well, look, I'm no fan of the Confederacy. I think it was um, uh, an, an evil design, and what they were standing for was wrong. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to wipe out any and all memory of the Confederacy. In fact, I, I think I, I don't always quote Forrest Gump in radio interviews, but uh, in that movie, uh, Forrest Gump himself acknowledges that he was named after a Civil War uh, Confederate leader. And he, he said, my mama named me that to remind me that sometimes folks do things that don't make any sense. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, it can be helpful to us to remember our history. And just as importantly, Brian, to remember the healing that we were able to achieve at the end of that war. So one of the reasons why we've left them up, I think, to acknowledge that, yeah, we had these um, states that broke away that formed their own country that went to war against us, all in pursuit of an evil institution called slavery. And yet after we won that war, we brought them back as fellow citizens, not as a captured territory. And I think that can be a good lasting reminder to the American people about how we can heal in spite of our differences and even after conflict. Right. And that was what I understand is so important about Robert E. Lee's legacy. He's the one who said, stand down and uh, get back, uh, get back to the country. Uh, Senator Mike Lee wrote a great book, Our Lost Declaration, America's Fight Against Tyranny from King George to the Deep State. We have a lot to talk to him about, but this is another area of his expertise we wanted to open up the show with. Senator Mike Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much, Brian. You got it. Uh, we come back. It's your turn. one 408 We're still talking about the Michael Flynn case. We'll let you hear some of that. Are uh, you concerned about the coronavirus situation? We'll let you hear. I want to hear from you on that. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. People having fun that they can go out and pull down a statue and have the mistaken assumption that black people are sitting around cheering for them. Say, oh my God, look at these white people. They're doing something so important to us. They're taking down a statue of a Civil War general who fought for the South. You know, black people, in my opinion, black people laugh at white people who do this. The same way we laugh at white people who say, we got to take off the TV shows. (laughs) That is Bob Johnson, a billionaire, CEO, founder of BET. It's always great to get his perspective. Look, he also wants reparations. So I'm not saying I agree with everything, but that's his perspective. Is it yours? Nancy, you're in Jackson, Mississippi. Jack, uh, Nancy, what's on your mind? Well, I was thinking with all these fools trying to take statues down, has anybody thought that in Germany they leave the concentration camps open for people to see so we don't repeat the past? And if people try to use some deranged Nazi fascist wants to go there for inspiration, they're looked at as that's aberrant behavior. People note who's there. I think Confederate statue. How do you feel about seeing a Confederate statue in Jackson, Mississippi? It doesn't bother me. Uh, I mean, it does, it's, a, it's history. You cannot repeat it. And they're trying to get rid of everything down here, and it's disgusting. You know, and, and They're the trying to change your flag. The, I think it's a reminder of the past we, and not, what not to do. And so why take it down? I, I just don't get it. Of course, my opinion is not popular down here. But it's just, you know, and I know most people are against it, but I just don't see how you can take something down that's not going to change what happened. I know. It's a talk, you know, Nancy, I know what you mean. It's a talking point. You walk by and there's Robert E. Lee and you say, you know, he was offered a commission in the North and he turned it down to fight in the South. And he was married into the Washington family, thought he was doing the right thing. 200 to 300,000 people, Americans died. He was absolutely wrong. What he did, he never wanted a 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Monument, but what he did in having reconciliation and every with his leadership skills, he was able to give us a shot at uh, at coming together again, and we did. Uh, Nate in Rockland, Nate. Yeah, I'm just very concerned that Joe Biden is never going to have to answer to why he wanted to investigate Michael Flynn because of the because uh, of the, with the using the Logan Act. He completely lied and interviewed George Stephanopoulos. He said he had nothing to do with any investigation. He knew that they were investigating, but he had nothing to do with it. Even when the follow up, he said that. And, and, he and Nate, what you're referring to is it. the proof that Peter Strzok's note showed the vice president was the first one to bring up the Logan Act on January 5th investigating the incoming national security advisor. So he is knee deep in this. And that was exposed yesterday. And believe me, he's going to get asked if he was asked from Stephanopoulos in the spring, he's going to get roasted in the summer and blown up. I believe in verbally blown up in the debates. Nate, it's all coming together at the very least. It's being exposed. This president had the Mueller report, which was unnecessary and unneeded. And he had the Obama people. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Last night, we stopped an attack on a great monument, the monument of Andrew Jackson in Lafayette Park. And I just want to thank law enforcement. They did a great job. We were working very closely with the White House Secret Service and some of our executives. It was really, they did a great job. They stopped the call. Numerous people are in jail and going to jail today. And they better know that they will go to jail if they could continue this. One person extremely worried, as I am, is a man who knows as much about Andrew Jackson and, and spends his life and every waking minute uh, keeping that legacy alive. Uh, Howard Keitel joins us, president and CEO of the Andrew Jackson Hermitage Foundation and the Hermitage, uh, really the grounds. Howard, how are you? Good morning, Brian. I am well. How are you? We we thought when we talked about this two years ago, a year and a half ago, we thought the worst was over. We remember the grave was defiled, and now you have cameras back there. But the worst is not over. How do you feel about it? Well, it's clear. Say to say it's it's uh, being it's troubling is an understatement. Um, and and I'm trying to wrap my mind around the situation and look at it from all perspectives, but. The, uh, the the statues of Jackson, especially the one in front of the White House, was commissioned by Congress. It's it's a monument that uh, Congress wanted. It was installed prior to the Civil War, and uh, was meant to be a tribute to Jackson, who a flawed person clearly, but also a consequential United States president who led uh, a new wave of of democracy for this country that maybe antiquated by 21st century standards, but in his time was was the cutting edge of how um, 
how the country was moving and to open up the ability to vote and the common man's participation in government. So he represents some really forward thinking as well as some um, challenges that we you know, know well about. Yeah, I mean, the Indian Removal Act, we talked about this the other night, just to get clear, because there's so much misinformation out there. Uh, he helped write it. It was the number one issue of the day. But he was out of office when Martin Van Buren uh, almost misinterpreted uh, the plan and had these American Indian tribes originally cut with the Cherokees uh, marching across the country uh, in winter conditions, many of which died a horrible death. And that's what, that's what the... Andrew Jackson's greatest critics harp on. Well, that's that's correct, and the uh, you know I think what's what's misinterpreted often is that the what what Jackson did in pushing through Congress the Indian Removal Act, which Congress approved and he signed, it was had been a challenge for presidents since Washington. So it was not new to Jackson. He's the one that kind of pushed it through as a defined policy. But it was not so much racial hatred or racial prejudice, that was part of it, as more greed, because the Native Americans sat on millions and millions of acres of land. That Much of it was prime for cotton growing, which was the economic engine of the early 19th century. And, you know, Americans wanted that land to grow cotton and expand the economy of the nation. So it was as much or more so greed. I don't know if that makes what they did to Native Americans any better, but it was it was driven by greed as opposed to hatred, especially in Jackson's case. I think he uh, he opposed anyone who appeared to be an enemy of the United States. But um, also worked with Native Americans in some instances. Howard, here you are defending a historic character. I never thought we'd, we'd be at this point. Uh, you were at you were at the Monticello before you got there, right? Before you got to Hermitage. I, I, yeah, I worked at Monticello while I was in graduate school. So, so you have a sense of Jefferson, not perfect, but sensational. Uh, indispensable, I would add, to a degree, Jackson the same way. And you told me the other night, as worried you were about Jackson in, in across from the White House, you worried about the Jackson statue in New Orleans and in Jacksonville. What has happened to them? The one in Jacksonville, which is the newest of them, that was in that was. They're all replicas of each other. The one in Jacksonville has been vandalized two nights in a row now, uh, spray painted and. The statue itself and the base of it has been spray painted. The one in New Orleans has been under armed guard for weeks now, and uh, but has been under threat for several years. It's the one that has attracted the most amount of attention, but is probably in the most public space of all of them because it's in Jackson Square, in the center of New Orleans. So those, uh, all all three of them, um, have been under attack this week, really. There hadn't been much about the Lafayette Square statue in front of the White House until this week. It had been pretty quiet about it. Uh, Right. And then what were your thoughts when you watched the chain go around his neck and the ropes around the horse and you saw that loud mob? I mean, what was going through your mind and, and the rest of your committee's mind? Well, 
yeah, you know, I'm a history nerd. So what it, what immediately came to my mind was in the beginning of the American Revolution, when Bostonians pulled down the statue of um, King George, and it was like there they are throwing ropes around a statue and trying to pull it over to represent their overthrow of an idea. And I think in this case, it's people are seeing Jackson as representing. Um, you know, uh, social injustice. He was a slave owner, and uh, clearly the Indian Removal Act, as we've discussed, and that they're reacting to those policies, and Jackson being the being emblematic of those policies, and it's a way to get back at them in a very visible way. Yeah, I, I just think if we were invaded, that, I, that's what I expected would happen. They would pull down our statue of the founding fathers and presidents. I want you to hear what the president's doing. Cut 11. We have the Monuments Act already, which, which means 10 years in jail. But I think we're going to consolidate various things. We're going to come out with a very strong executive order, and I should have that by the end of the week, which is fast approaching. Will, will that help? Uh, it, I, I think it will depend on the responsiveness of people. Uh, or of the you know of federal authorities, and, but can they can can they protect all of the monuments? I mean, the Jackson statue is right in front of the White House, the one in Washington. Uh, it seems like that's the one that would have the easiest level of protection, and I think it would then vary from location to location and uh, type of type of statue one to the other. But you know, we've seen many other presidents and public figures, uh, the, as the attitudes about them change. We've seen statues being proposed to, re, to be removed. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt in New York, for instance, uh, buildings being renamed. It's, so what we're seeing is a huge shift in, in public thinking about our own past and uh, a very complicated past. And yesterday, uh, Senator Lamar Alexander from Tennessee made just some fabulous statements. But he said, if you to the said to the effect that if you want to find um, you know perfect people, you're not going to find them in American history. They all have clay feet. Uh, by the way, any country's history. And, yes, that's true. And it's around the world, too. I mean, you, 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 other countries, especially Britain, they're finding problems with, um, with their generals and, and others, and they're looking to pull down their statues. So I mm-hmm. never thought that if you didn't like something about history, you'd destroy it. I thought you'd just study it. I think that's how. Do you think, do you believe, lastly, Howard, do you believe this is a phase, or do you believe that we should address this comprehensively with a clear mind? For example, do you put the Confederate statues as a historian in a separate category than the president's? Um, yes, I would. Uh, to my mind, the the Confederacy was a rebellion against this m- mighty experiment of the United States and our Constitution and constitutional law, and it was a rebellion against it. So I I see. Confederate monuments is something different than the than the tributes to our presidents and to the people who, in limited ways, but in one fashion or another, helped move the country forward to the country we have today, which is also troubled. But one hopes that with each generation in each cycle, we 
become better. And I, I really do think we have been. If you look, I think of the country as an evolution, and we've been evolving from a far more restricted democracy 250 years ago, or almost, than the one we have today. And it's it's a prog- progression. And I see Jackson as a step in, all in that direction. I see Lincoln as a step. Uh, you know, Franklin Roosevelt, I think uh, other presidents have each one, in varying degrees, moved the country forward and moved to fulfill that we the people statement that the Constitution begins with. Howard Keitel, thanks so much. Uh, right now, is there, is there security in all three major statues? Is there another place there's a Jackson statue you're concerned about? Well, there's one here in Tennessee as well, and the, the state is caring for that. All right. And what about you guys? Are you secured? We are. We have beefed up security. Uh, There's been a lot of concern about that. And we've actually had several private donors make contributions to us to beef up our security. They've been concerned about this uh, National Historic Landmark site. Howard Keitel, thanks so much. Thanks for what you do for the Andrew Jackson. Brian, thank you. Always a pleasure. All right. 1-866-408-7669. A lot going on. Uh, we're also seeing that the President of the United States is going to be in Wisconsin today. He's going to be on television with Sean Hannity tonight on a town hall. When we come back, I want to take your calls, but also go over some disturbing polls if you're a supporter of the president. He's trailing almost in double figures in every battleground state. Very similar to four years ago. But now we got a pandemic and we have civil unrest and all the other challenges and a different opponent. Brian Kilmeade Show. On air, online, and on demand for 10 years. I tell you, you are always the first person I'm listening to in the morning. I'd like to compliment you on having the best show on radio. Thank you. We've got a craving for a conservative like you. You guys are telling the truth, and I couldn't tell you how thankful we are. I just want to thank you for being cheerful and, you know, making me laugh every day. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Now they're looking at Jesus Christ. They're looking at George Washington. They're looking at Abraham Lincoln. Thomas Jefferson, not going to happen, not going to happen, not as long as I'm here. As far as Democrats are concerned, I think they could care less whether or not it happens. And uh, I think the American people get it. So we're going to have a very strong executive order, and it'll happen uh, very quickly before the end of the week. Uh, That's the president of the United States uh, talking about take action. It's true. Democrats are invisible. Not one. Terry, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Terry. Yeah. Hey, Brian. Hey, I'd like to say I'm really tired of listening to all the experts on your show and every other show um, apologize and preface everything they say about America about, well, we're flawed or this person was flawed or that person was flawed. I would just like to say you name me one other country on this world that 17 Cubans will get into a 10 foot John boat and brave the straits to come across the ocean to our banks. You name me one other country where people will pay a coyote to bring them across hundreds of miles of desert with their kids, not knowing if they're going to live or die. You name me one other country 
where people will crawl into the wheel well of a jet airliner, not knowing if they're going to be crushed, dropped, or froze to death on the trip. Good point. But Terry, I mean, you, you could do, you could have great pride like you do, and I appreciate it. And I appreciate you listening. But you could also say, hey, wait a second. You know, they had slavery back then. We can never subscribe to that. African-Americans have a different sensibility for it because it's, it could be their direct heritage. So I think you can acknowledge that and acknowledge what a great country we are, the best ever. I think you could have both things be true. But I know I could. I hear you in your voice. You're getting tired of the negativity. So am I. Appreciate it. Um, also, I think just to go over those polls, as I promised. So head to head, Joe Biden is benefiting by doing nothing, doing absolutely nothing. He can't even put a word together to words together, but he's winning in the New York Times Siena poll. Uh, it's he's beating Trump by 14 points nationally. He held a 21 point lead among independents. Uh, he has a 22 point lead among women, a 28 point lead among white college educated voters overall. Uh, when he comes to the battleground states, he's trailing in Michigan, Arizona. He's trailing in Wisconsin. He's trailing in Florida. He's trailing in North Carolina. The president's been like this before, but it's up to him to get the message together that is going to resonate as well as the performance. Right now, he's grading low on the pandemic as it comes up in numbers. You might say, well, he's doing all he can do. Okay, you're voting for him. What's it going to take to get other independents to vote for him? One of which is going to be exposed Joe Biden, who is not ready for this. He does not have what it takes to be in that position. Uh, Ion, uh, Ion is in Nevada. Ion, what's on your mind? I want to know why we would possibly deploy National Guard without having them armed. It sounds crazy to protect anything and have them subject to have bricks thrown at them and feces and urine and not have them armed. I did not know they weren't armed. I mean, when I walk through Penn Station, they're armed. They got rifles. So that's the New York. I'm hearing on Fox News that they are being deployed without arms. Well, we're going to look into that. I will find out uh, because they, along with the marshals, are supposed to keep these statues done today at seven o'clock. Uh, safe. Uh, today at 7 o'clock, they're going after Lincoln. Uh, they telegraphed it, so I think that'll be so I think that'll be stopped, but still. Aaron, listen on KZRG Joplin. Aaron. Hey, Brian. I was just curious why all these people that are so offended about statues, why they're not demanding all the federal buildings in West Virginia named after Robert Byrd be renamed, because he was a grand wizard of the KKK. Yep. Uh, yeah. Joe Biden's mentor. Yeah, he did a lot of uh, he did he did a lot of things to impress Joe Biden. Joe Biden gave, I think, his eulogy, the lead eulogy for um, uh, for his burial. I guess uh, you know, less than ten years ago. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Janet, listen in Mountain Mountain Park, Nevada. Janet, oh, I'm actually in Mountaintop, Pennsylvania. But... Oh, okay, my fault. What's on your mind? No, no, no. Hey, uh, my mom is 86, and she's in a nursing facility, and. You know, if I ever get to see her again because of our ridiculous governor, but her favorite place in the world is Gettysburg, and she is absolutely terrified. Those statues are going to be gone. Our history is going to be gone. What's your suggestion on what I tell her? Because I can't tell her at this point they're being protected. Are they? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would drive by and check it out or go online. I would hope your governor would understand what Gettysburg means to this country and to Pennsylvania. I would hope a uh, university's right there too. I would hope yeah. your governor gets that. 
But uh, the I, fact that you don't know is scary because they're coming. Uh, they would love to get their na- get their uh, hands on some of those monuments there and the battlefield in particular. Janet, thanks so much. Listen, the Hermitage first time was attacked. They didn't even have cameras in the back, and Andrew Jackson's grave was defiled. They rectified that. Hopefully, Gettysburg's got some enough revenue to do the same thing. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way. We have uh, somebody to look forward to. We got Mark, Dr. Mark Siegel to try to unwind the increasing cases across the country in 32 states now. Have an increase in coronavirus cases in Houston, Texas. They're getting worried. 80% of the ICU beds are full. Uh, in New York, they're going down. In Connecticut and New Jersey, three of the states in the Northeast are going down. Massachusetts as well, too. Uh, we'll find out how that goes because nobody is thinking lockdown again. But we'll see if it's a lack of discipline. What I find amazing is they've come to the conclusion, despite riots and protests in 315 cities, it has not led to the increase in coronavirus cases. Well, it certainly would help if places like New York asked people, were you at the protest when you took the test? So uh, with Chris Wallace just getting out of the shower, let's find out if there's a big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've said all along, if the positivity rate or the hospitalization rate increase too much, we have strategies to reduce the spread of COVID-19 without having to return to stay-at-home policies. There you go. That was Governor Greg Abbott. A spike in Houston, Texas is most in peril. 30 states see a rise. Oklahoma to South Carolina. But another lockdown, thankfully, not on the table. We'll bring you the latest. Number two. This statue right here embodies the white supremacy and the disempowerment of black people. Yeah. That is why we're tearing this statue down. No, you're not. Uh, They're coming for Lincoln today, the Lincoln Emancipation Statue in Washington, D.C. Can they be stopped? Well, they better be stopped. Meanwhile, the attacks on our history, statues and monuments that commemorate, then commemorations continue. Uh, The president has said the U.S. Marshals and Park Police must be prepared to respond, as well as the National Guard, and make the perpetrators pay. Number one. What the decision today is really, it's a good thing for, for General Flynn. It's a good thing for me. It's a good thing for my family. But it's really a great boost of confidence for the American people in our justice system. Flynn free? Seems like it after an appeals court finishes what William Barr started, and that's the exoneration of the lieutenant general on his federal charges. And even more uh, mentions, uh, more links emerge linking Joe Biden and Barack Obama to the investigation. But first... 
Now it's time to clear the airwaves for the Emmy-nominated host of Fox News Sunday. Mr. Sunday, the receptive voice, the king. Author of the new book, Countdown 19... Countdown 1945. It will drop on June 9th. Chris, you're such an asset to the show, and I'm glad to see it's really helping your career. Did I mention Countdown 1945? Got it. I see this as a feature-length movie. I am serious. This is a great story. This is going to be great, and I look forward to talking to you for the next five months about it. Every week we are going to talk about countdown. You know, this is going to be a countdown to the countdown. I like it. Tell tell your people to put that on the uh, promo next week. The official Brian Kilmeade Show countdown to the countdown ended on June 9th. Countdown 1945 now available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble and wherever books are sold. And I believe this book is now number one. Am I right, Chris Wallace? Well, uh, last week, it was the number one hardcover best-selling book in America, fiction or nonfiction. Uh, and and wow. this week, for the second week, and I'm, I must say I was a little nervous about this, it's on the New York Times bestseller list again, number two uh, in hardcover nonfiction. And so, you know, it's Countdown has legs. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I have to say, as I listened to that, that it, it's very sweet of you to play it. I think I may, do you think maybe I was going over the edge in promoting this book? Maybe, maybe just a tad. No, here, here's what I like. I like the fact that you, you handle the news and everything from the pandemic to Michael Flynn. I mean, this is huge news. Uh, and at the same time, you go, hey, by the way, here's the book. Instead of Buy my book. I think you're doing it the perfect way. I think you're weaving perfectly with, I'm really proud of this book, but let me talk about the news first. I think it's going well. No, that was that was because I was told to do that. I, I wanted to just talk about the book and <laughs> I just shamelessly hold it up. I will say this. The, my, I don't know. Did your publishers ever say to you, hold the book up? Because mine did. They said, hold the book up when you're talking about it. And so I felt like a darn fool, but I did it anyway. What the heck? What the heck? You can only be number one so many times. Let's keep it. Let's keep it going. I know uh, John Bolton's book is out. I think your prediction is going to bear right. I, I think it's going to be short lived. Uh, it's it. I mean, we got the excerpts uh, reportedly that the, the the worst part about President Trump is out there. You could he's been questioned about it, and I think it's going to fade quick. Well, here's the other thing. Uh, have you actually read the book? No. I got a copy of it uh, late last week, and so I've been reading it. And I mean, look, whether you agree with it or not, there is there are some interesting things in there. But it is if he took his log for the 18 months he was in in the uh, national security advisor and he just sort of disgorges it onto the page. So literally he'll begin and he'll say, well, so at 11 o'clock I had a meeting with this person and this person. We discussed this. And at two o'clock I had a meeting with this person. I mean, there's no little facts. And big revelations are all treated the same way. You, you, I find myself sort of skimming through it to try to get to the meaty parts. It's not – boy, this book could have used an editor, uh, drastic editor. It's 500 pages. It's probably about 250 interesting pages in there so far. I'm about a, But I will say this. It's a really good book to read at night because you – find yourself reading the same paragraph several times in a row, and then you just say, okay, I think I'll go to sleep. Understood. So were you surprised that the Michael Flynn thing is playing out like it did? Uh, For example, the appeals court comes out on a 2-1 decision. They decide uh, that uh, Emmett Sullivan's ruling uh, should be overturned and that that he should 
be back to what the attorney general recommended, and that's for charges to be dropped. You know, it strikes me that it's a it's a close call. It's a tough call. And you see that with the two one uh, verdict by the by the uh, appeals court. Um, You know, I, I can understand the arguments both sides on the on the attorney general. He decides I don't want to prosecute this case. I don't think I don't think it's a legitimate case. And, you know, generally speaking, you would say, well, if the Justice Department doesn't want to prosecute it, that's the end of it. They want to dismiss it. On the other hand, I can kind of understand the judge saying, I had this guy before me in court twice. He not only, you know, he he not only lied allegedly to the court, but he swore to me under oath that he lied. You know, I don't want to let this go. But the court system will work and they'll decide how how it goes. I mean, to a certain degree, you could argue it's a waste of time because in the end, I don't think there's any doubt that Donald Trump would pardon Michael Flynn. I mean, if if the if his Justice Department wants to dismiss the case, if for some reason, and there is a possibility that the full uh, Court of Appeals will hear the case rather than just the three judges, and that they were to reverse it, I, I think at some point the president would, would pardon him, don't you? Yeah, I, I think that's a minor point, the pardon. I think it's a minor point. I, I, I think 50% of this is Michael Flynn's personal uh, legal future. I think the other part is what's been emerging here and how much during the transition the Obama team and Vice President Biden, according to Peter Strzok's remarks, was the one to bring up the Logan Act for the first time. And that they're thinking that there's something with uh, Michael Flynn selling out to the Russians, which if you just look at his career or read his book, you know it's uh, it doesn't fit with the profile. And then you have Comey in this meeting that Peter Strzok took notes on, say there seems to be legit his conversations with Ambassador Kislyak. Whoa. And Biden, who says, you know, I don't really know anything about it. Maybe I know a little bit about it, was the one to bring up the Logan Act with the president on January 5th. That's the stuff I find astounding. I mean, just pack up, put the bubble wrap in and leave. I completely agree with you on that, that that, you know, I guess it was in an interview with George Stephanopoulos that Biden, he was asked about the investigation and he said, well, I don't know anything about that. And then uh, Stephanopoulos as like a good reporter, followed up and said, uh, well, wait a minute. You know, there's a the statement. I think it was the, the uh, statement from uh, Susan Rice saying, well, no, in fact, you were part of this conversation about him. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I know I did know about it. And then I agree. Peter struck that, that it was Biden who brought up prosecuting him under the Logan Act. I think I'm right. The, the Logan Act was was like the eight eighteen hundred yeah. when there was concern that the that in the U.S. somebody was going to consort with the Brits and start to conduct foreign policy outside of the government. And I don't think anybody has ever been prosecuted. Certainly, nobody has been prosecuted in two hundred years. And I agree. I think that's an absolutely le- legitimate question to ask Joe Biden. You know, you you keep saying you don't know anything about it, and your <laughs> fingerprints are uh, here and here and here. So here's what Christopher Ray said yes to the uh, uh, to Brett yesterday about the Durham investigation and the whole investigation which they called meaning James Comey and company called Crossfire Hurricane cut 9. On the Crossfire Hurricane matter uh, that's the subject of the IG report. I think it describes conduct that is unacceptable. Period. Full stop and cannot be allowed to happen and will not be allowed to happen in But whether it's criminal FBI. or not Criminal decisions, charging decisions, prosecution decisions are not made by the FBI director. Those are made by across the street at the Justice Department by the prosecutors. But somebody here altered that FISA 
report, and that would be a criminal offense, right? And that individual no longer works at the FBI, and I don't want to get out in front of the Durham investigation. You really get him to talk about this, and he talked about it then, and if he did want to avoid it, you know, we just say, Brad, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do that interview to after the summer. Uh, but he, he got that out. He knew that question was coming. What do you think? Well, I think, you know, it's clear that this one relatively lower low-level attorney in the FBI you know, if you believe the inspector general's report, and I do, Michael Horowitz, uh, he misled and, and, and mischaracterized something to try to get a FISA warrant to investigate Carter Page. So, I mean, it seems to me, you know, whether he's criminally charged or not, he, he at the very least, conducted, I mean, he was involved in misconduct, and, per, and I think it's probably more likely than not he broke the law. I think the key question is, how much higher up does it go? You know, where, where does the misconduct and uh, and we know it. We know this is one bit player, but does it go higher than that? Uh, we'll have to see when the Durham report comes out. But you know, it's interesting. You talk about Comey. I'm, I'm, I, it seems to me, in a, in a country where we're evenly divided, and, and you know, either you hate somebody or you love somebody, the two people who are sort of men without a country are. John Bolton and Jim Comey, right? I mean, they, nobody likes them. Uh, you know, they, they're hated by Democrats. They're hated by Republicans. And, you know, they seem to have no, in a, in a, in a world where everybody's in a camp, they don't seem to have any camp. Here's President Trump on the other topic I wanted to talk about, the war on history. Over 100 American statues, uh, uh, statues, memorials have been, de- have been defiled, including a World War II memorial where they spray-painted a hammer and sickle. Please tell me what that has to do with race relations. Cut 11. We have the Monuments Act already, which, which means 10 years in jail. But I think we're going to consolidate various things. We're going to come out with a very strong executive order, and I should have that by the end of the week, which is fast approaching. You think the president's tact here, trying to get enforcement for security for these statues like the one in your town that's going to be targeted at 7 o'clock tonight, uh, Abraham Lincoln? Uh, do you think that's a right, the right tact? I do. Um, yeah, I do. I, I, you know, I'm honestly, and I know your audience is going to like, I'm, I'm conflicted on this. I think uh, there are certain statues. I mean, let, let's go back. Just, and I know we are limited in time, but I'm thinking about this a lot. When, when the Soviet Union ended, I'm not comparing Lincoln to to Lenin or or Marx or anything like that. When the Soviet Union ended, a lot of people thought, you know what, we want to take down the statues of Lenin and Marx and and Stalin and all these these leaders because it's a blot on our history. Now, you could have made the argument, well, it is part of the history and they should stay up. Um, You know, there are a lot of statues. I don't know, a statue of Robert E. Lee. I actually kind of think of, of Lee as a as a tragic but but important figure and a figure who should be memorialized. He was the number one guy at West Point. He wanted to stay his commission in the Union, but he felt this tie to the South. I, I think that's important. I will tell you, the Lincoln statue, and I hadn't, I didn't, you know, when, when we first heard they want to tear down a statue of Lincoln, I thought, what the hell? Have you looked at the statue? Oh, yeah. It's, it's I, if I, I, I think it's offensive myself. Okay. I mean, it's a statue of Lincoln, like the savior, the creator, and and at his knees, on it, at his feet, on his knees, is a black slave shackled as if, you know, the emancipation—and look, I, I'm not denigrating Lincoln at all, uh, but 
it's it's if you were if you were an African American, I could see where you would be disturbed by that. Well, I, do you I know think what, it know be what I would do before I put well, it like a before I threw a chain around its neck and try to pull it down like they did Andrew Jackson? I would look and find out what's the history behind it. And it turns out it was financed by uh, freed slaves, uh, and it was re- it was it was actually designed. They had five separate designs. They one got an American to design it. Uh, his last name was Ball, and when they did it, his Ball's intention was this. He convinced the commission that by the image of out, this guy was an actual guy, the African-American, Archer Alexander. Alexander was there. They made him look like instead of a kneeling slave, they changed it. They showed a strong guy, an emancipated slave, who's looking upward with fists clenched, part breaking his own change under the president's guiding arm. It was intentionally done not to be subservient. So real quick, we only have 20 seconds. Okay. Well, I, the only thing I'd say in regard, and, and, you know, this is why this conversation needs to happen. The, a lot of the African-Americans who helped buy it, you know, pay for it, were very upset about it. And I kind of like Eleanor Holmes Norton's idea. She's the D.C. congresswoman. Put it in a museum. I don't I don't I agree with you. It shouldn't be just pulled down in a chain and whatever. And there should be a debate about it. I can understand young black people not wanting that to be the image today. But I yeah. this is that's a sensible conversation. I agree. Sitting there putting a chain over something and pulling it down. No. Chris Wallace, thanks so much. Congratulations. Countdown 1945, number one in the nation. Let's keep it there, Chris. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. I enjoyed this conversation. It was good. All right. Thank you. Back in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Tom, listen to WDUN Gainesville, uh, Gainesville, Georgia. Hey, Tom. Hey, Brian. Thanks for all your work and, and, and your good work with your books and so forth. Thank you. Uh, and your tours uh, has is really part of what I'm trying to say here. Do uh, First of all, on the coronavirus... Two points quick. First of all, on the coronavirus, there's a, a, some country in Europe that's found that if at least half of the people wear their masks, the numbers go down. We're not doing that anymore here. And I'm one of those people that was out of work for three months. I'm an older guy. So I, I don't need, I, you know, I'd like a little consideration from my neighbors on this point. Okay, that's number one. So wear your darn mask if you're in a situation. Wash your hands and keep it up. Otherwise, we're going to not, we're going to go in reverse. Yeah, it's just in Florida, number, very few people have masks. Two, do we have a further duty, and you've done some of this duty with your books and tours, especially on this July 4th, our Independence Day, to do more than a backyard barbecue? Should we be talking to our children? Should we be watching the Paul Harvey, our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor on YouTube? Should we be spreading that word? Should we be surrounding statues and singing uh, patriotic songs, locking arms with our friends and neighbors and and people who believe like we do? What further should you think we should do? And maybe some of your listeners can call in. It goes to their own family. And a lot of them, a lot of people uh, uh, have have, in their families or basically not too proud of this country that's what i'm seeing right now but i'm worried about these 20 somethings they seem to hate this country they seem to really hate it and for those who don't uh, let it be known don't be shy about it. don't be timid anymore tell people who you're voting for and tell people what country you're polling for 
With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I've said all along that if the positivity rate or the hospitalization rate increase too much, we have strategies to reduce the spread of COVID-19 without having to return to stay-at-home policies. Closing down Texas again will always be the last option. Good. Uh, Hopefully it won't come to that. Uh, There is a rise in cases in certain states. Arizona up 77%, Michigan 75%, uh, Florida 66%, and Texas 70%. Let's go inside those numbers with somebody who dominates in this area and has been kind enough to join us right away, Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News contributor over at NYU. Dr. Siegel, did you hear the concern in the governor's voice? Should he be concerned? Well, he needs to be concerned now in Texas because the rate of hospitalizations is up and the ICUs are about 95% full. Now, of course, that's not all COVID patients, Brian. It's a lot of returning to normal business. It's other people that don't have COVID that are, that are requiring hospitalizations. But once the hospitals get full and there's overflow, that's when we start to have a big problem. Most of the cases are being are mild, most involving younger people. Death rate is not, is not yet up. But eventually, you could, you're going to end up seeing older, older people being infected more. And, and what has to happen here, I think, Brian, is that they have to target their response to the areas where all this spread is occurring, not lockdowns. Lockdowns destroys the economy. Lockdowns cause all kinds of psychological and physical problems. Lockdowns delayed medical care and treatment. But I, I kind of wonder if, 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 if a bar, let's say, or a beach or somewhere is where all of this irresponsibility is going on, maybe just close the bars and the beaches, for example, but not lockdown. Uh, yeah, well, lockdown destroys the economy, which also has other challenges uh, with it. And then, of course, there's always things that stay open from Target to the supermarkets uh, till, of course, we need liquor. Uh, right now, the death rate is down 80 percent. How do you explain the cases being up and the death, death uh, mark being down? Well, I think that's a hugely important point, and I think that's because there's a there's a couple of reasons for that. One, we're we're diagnosing this earlier. We're diagnosing COVID nineteen earlier. We got more testing out there. This testing is getting everywhere. Two, I think that we're we're better equipped to treat COVID nineteen than before. We know what it is. We know how it presents. We know how to isolate people. We're developing treatments now. Uh, we found that a steroid works against it. We have an antiviral drug called remdesivir that decreases the duration. We're much more, we're using blood thinners. We're much more equipped with it. Three, most of the increase, Brian, is younger people and people that get milder cases. Those are the, and the fourth thing I'm fascinated by is that there's some scientists in Italy that believe that the virus may be changing itself to become milder. We noticed that in New York, too, by the way, before it decreased dramatically here in New York. It looked like that the cases were getting milder. Let's hope that that's the case. We certainly don't want to see all this spread over 37,000 new cases in the United States yesterday. As you mentioned, specific states are being hit. I want to say something really important here, Brian. Michigan, you talked about Michigan having an increase in cases. 75%. Despite, despite the strongest and most severe lockdown of all was in the state of Michigan. 
So you, you have to wonder how effective this across-the-board locking down is at controlling the virus versus a much more targeted approach. The governor of Michigan was all over the lockdown, severe lockdown. So I'm going to add something else uh, to that. They had the severe lockdown, but we also came out with this statement. Uh, due to the protest in 315 cities, they see no increase in coronavirus cases. Number one, how do you do that? In New York, they didn't even add, they were told not to ask if they were in the protests. Uh, number two, how do you make a statement like that? It's erroneous, really. You can't know. You just said why. Unless you do really, really good contact tracing, where you say to someone, okay, you got COVID, were you at a protest? If you don't ask that question, and then once you say, were you at a protest, then you have to figure out who at the protest they were in contact with. These are anonymous people milling about during a protest. You may have come in contact with 10, 20, 100 that you don't even know who they are. So it's really impossible to figure that point out. That in the end, was there an increase due to the due to the presence of COVID-19 in some people and not in others? We can't know the answer to that. I'll tell you one thing. If it's in an area where there's very little virus, that's a place I would agree that that's not likely. But if there's a protest going on in an area where uh, there's a lot of virus, you're going to see spread. What, what hypocrisy, by the way, to lock down a region but have these the, the protests going on where people are, are, are cheek to cheek and just hand out masks thinking that matters. I, somebody, I saw someone sneeze into a mask the other day, Brian, and everyone f- felt reassured that they were protected. When in reality, if you sneeze into a mask and you have COVID, that mask is not doing that much to protect people. Oh, my, my eyes roll in my head on all this. Uh, Andrew Cuomo decided, the governor of New York, decided to, I believe, get, reven- uh, get revenge on those states that barred New Yorkers. Cut 44. We worked very hard to get the viral transmission rate down. We don't want to see it go up because a lot of people come into this region and they could literally bring the infection with them. We have to make sure we're doing everything and we're diligent and our citizens are diligent. We also have to make sure the virus doesn't come in on a plane again. People coming in from states that have a high infection rate must quarantine for 14 days. Uh, Is this practical? No, it's not. It's political posturing. He was very angry when Rhode Island wouldn't let New Yorkers in. You remember that back sure. in March? But the reason this is posturing is, I mean, who's, who, people are just going to sneak in. Can you imagine this, Brian? You go to a rental car dealer, but you say, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want Florida plates. Give me, one of those, <laughs> give me the, one of those cars that has New York plates, right? So nobody knows you actually came from Florida. How's he going to enforce this? It's not, it's not practical, and, and, and it doesn't have any teeth to it. He says people are not going to fly in from states that that have uh, a lot of COVID, well, they'll go through another state before they come here. I, I, this is what happened before. This is how we ended up with so much uh, spread from Europe Pe- yeah. or, or from China, for that matter. People found ways around this. If he wants to seriously look at this, he fi- has to have a, a policy that would really track people that were com- that are coming in with COVID. So Florida has 109,000 109, cases uh, available. ICU capacity is at 21%. So we know it's going up there. Disney has delayed their opening. Some of their employees were concerned over in Orlando. Some of the sports teams looking to train there, they're getting concerned. Alex Azar, the uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, said this about 10 minutes ago. 
it's important for the American people to know this is a localized situation. The counties that are in hotspots are 3% of American counties. Now, that's not to minimize the situation. It's really important that we get to the bottom of why we're seeing the surge in cases. Now, some of it clearly has to do with increased testing. We've tested over 30 million people, 3.5 million just in the last week, and the average age of people testing positive is going down dramatically. That means we're capturing younger asymptomatic individuals, which is a sign of a very robust testing system that President Trump has delivered. Do you want to take that on? That's very interesting what he just said. You know, I, I like Secretary Azar, and I've interviewed him several times. He also should say, and this is, this is a, a little bit more flesh on the bones here, we're testing people before they go for any procedures in hospitals. We're testing people when they simply walk in the door of a hospital. So we are picking up asymptomatic cases that way. I want your listeners to know we're not just testing people on the street. We're testing people with mild symptoms. But I also think that we're seeing more. So we are testing people who have milder cases. But I also think it's spreading more among our youth, people that are not taking precautions. So we're seeing milder cases overall. It's a combination of things. The fact that we're seeing milder cases is a a very good piece of this. We can't say that it's all testing, but testing is definitely playing a very important role here. Brian, we have to combine testing with that contact tracing, because if someone has it, we want to know who they gave it to. And if there's a region, and this is the most important thing I'm going to say, if there's a region where there's a ton of this, like California, like Arizona, like Michigan, like Texas especially, that's where we want our people that are most at risk to be cocooned, to be out of the way, to not be in contact with, with, with people. That's not lockdown. That's protecting our treasure, those who are most at risk. He also went on to talk about a vaccine. Let's listen. I am optimistic, given the president's leadership here, we are devoting um, tremendous resources to ensure that we reduce any any unnecessary delay in developing a safe and effective vaccine. But also importantly, we're manufacturing hundreds of millions of doses of vaccine at risk so that they'll be ready if an FDA, if a, a vaccine is approved by the FDA. So tens of millions by this fall, hundreds of millions by early next year. Can you un- unwind that? I think the key there is, and this is something Secretary Azar has been keen on from the beginning, because he was involved in the industry. Let's not forget he was the CEO of Lilly. He has a lot of experience with with the way pharmaceuticals work and and manufacturing goes. His point is that manufacturing, which is usually what slows down the process in terms of vaccine production, is not going to be a slowdown now. The science has to proceed in the right way so we don't compromise it so that we end up with a vaccine that we can reassure the public works, it's safe, it'll give you immunity. That's where we're heading. Dr. Fauci also very excited about that. But what Secretary Azar is saying is we're never going to be in a position where we say we had the science, but we didn't have the, the, the hundreds of millions of doses. We're going to have the hundreds of millions of doses simultaneously. We're going to take the financial risk on, the federal government will, to make sure that when the vaccine science is there, we have the vaccines to give you. That's never been done that way, and it's a huge step forward. And I know you're a huge sports fan, and baseball is going to start. They're going to go to training camp, I think, right after the 4th of July, or am I be July 1st. Uh, They're going to go back to training. A lot of people are concerned that we're seeing this rise in 31 states. And we also, I think, Brooke Kepka tested positive on the PGA Tour and maybe another one did. What should be the mindset of the athletes and the fans as we go in without a vaccine, go back to sports without a vaccine? 
Brian, believe it or not, you're a huge sports fan. I'm going to tell you it depends on the sport we're talking about here. Baseball, there's a built-in social distancing going on. Obviously, golf, there's a built-in social distancing. The players are not close together. And football, which I also think should go back on track, you're going to end up testing the players more. You're going to test the trainers. You're going to test people a lot in football. In terms of the fans, there has to be physical distancing built into fans. What's going on in Europe with soccer is very interesting. They started soccer back. And now they're slowly adding the fans. Italy's planning on fans as of July 1st. That's how the U.K. is doing it. That's how we're going to do it. We're going to have to slowly add back the fans, and they won't be as cluttered together. You'll be able to have your hot dog, but you, you know, you're going to have to be – you're not going to be next to the guy with, it, with, a, with another hot dog. Right. We, and, we, yeah. We have I, to be careful. So if you have a 70,000-seat stadium, do you think football by the fall will have – I know the Dolphins are talking about letting 16,000 in. Is that something that's possible? Completely. That's actually very conservative. I think using a 70,000-person stadium for 16,000 people can be done quite safely. And if you're a season ticket holder, I'm sure they could figure out a way to stagger it so that you get to go to every other or every third game. I think that's the way to start. And, and again, you said something at the beginning that matters here. Are we in a hot spot or aren't we in a hot spot? You know, may, maybe, maybe, at worst case, a team might have to play their games outside a hot spot. But if you're not in a hot spot, I, th- I think we can be a little bit less worried about it. I just think that uh, the mindset of the fan will be like the military. When we had a war going on, you might lose Ted Williams for a year and a half. When you're in the middle of a big game, it's going to be week four, and, is, and, and one of the, your, your starting running backs got the virus. Don't complain. Don't say, you know, oh, don't panic. It's going to be, okay, he's, he's quarantined for two weeks. He's going to get treated. Uh, next up. And I just think we have to have that mindset rather than the panic that, that we originally had when this first came out. Yeah, completely. That was never any good. That fear breeds much more of a sense that the virus is on you. The virus is in the air. The virus, you can get it from the surfaces. All that was completely overblown. One other thing I would say about sports arenas is I'm not advocating that high-risk groups go. So I I would think the elderly might watch from home at at least at first until this calms down. But I completely think we should be doing our sports. Our sports Mm -hmm. rally us. Our sports are part of the national spirit here. We're not the same country without our sports. We need them back. I know you think that, Brian. I know. I mean, uh, and so do the players. Uh, they, it's not easy being a millionaire and getting no money. So these guys, uh, they have bills to pay, too. I think that's part of the reason why baseball ultimately decide to pay play. And I think the reason why basketball feels good about it, too, is that most of them got paid already and football just wouldn't get paid. And think about life. If a whole year of uh, college football, college sports doesn't happen, you have an incoming freshman class. You have an outgoing senior class. Do they still go to class? Uh, it's going to be confusion and a lack of revenue. It just makes things worse. I think that we have to under the mindset, what does it take to get them back on the field? That, to me, is, should be the mindset. And doctors like you will be invaluable because they need medical experts advising them how to do it correctly. Uh, because they go back to their families and they go back to their parents. And some of the parents are older and they don't want to be carriers. Dr. Siegel, complicated time. I appreciate it. And they're young, Brian. They're young, they're healthy, so the players themselves aren't what I'm worried about. It's your right. They have to be completely traced, so we make sure they're not bringing it back to higher-risk groups. I'm all for it. Let's get, the, let's get the teams back. And the best thing, news, is the Knicks don't have to play anymore. We don't have to watch that team. 
Well, they're you know, not invited if you to don't Orlando. play, you're zero zero instead of <laughs> instead of one and twenty, right? No, they make them carry their record to Orlando, so they say the team's <laughs> out. Don't go. I appreciate. Thank you, NBA. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Doctor Siegel. Back in a moment with your calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Just finishing up. I see all you out there, and we want to talk about everything, including the war on history. Mike, listening on KRMG in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. Uh, did anyone you know go to the rally? Uh, no. Uh-uh. I stayed away because I, uh, I feared people coming in from all over the country trying to protest. So I stayed away. Gotcha. So what's on your mind? Well, I, like you, love history. I love this country. And I see its place in the world as a beacon of hope and freedom for for everybody. And so I have taken that love and passion of our history to the inner city schools in a public school district. And what I find is that the kids are not interested in history. They find it to be a complete waste of time. <sighs> they don't understand why it's part of the curriculum. They're more interested in social media and and Twitter and TikTok and and YouTube than they are in trying to figure out anything about the history of this country. And so for me, and I'm sure with fellow history teachers, this is no surprise what's going on. In fact, I could have I could have predicted it. Sadly, uh, Mike, you doing just don't don't give up. Uh, keep pounding away. You'll turn if you keep doing it and in an exciting fashion. You'll grab a, a more and more kids each year. My hope. And there's always been distractions. Now it's social media. Back then it was television. People called it the boob tube. Uh, Nathan W L N I over in Lynchburg, Virginia. Nathan. Hey, I'm just wondering when uh, America, or should I say Donald Trump, or the federal government will declare Antifa, BLM, Jazz, all these uh, groups as domestic terrorism, um, because it, a protest is a protest. Peaceful protest is constitutional and is fine, but when you start ripping down statues that don't belong to you, that belong to the federal and state governments, when you start pushing old people over and, and hurting people and spitting in cops' faces and doing all sorts of stuff, there's a, a huge price that will be will have to be paid if this isn't stopped. I'm just wondering what is Donald Trump's uh, what is his strategy on this? Is he just letting it go for a reason? We'll is see, the- uh, Nathan. I know the FBI director talked about it last night. So keep uh, uh, stay poised, get ready. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Kilmeade. Appreciate you being with us, Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Eli Lake standing by and Brett Baer, two sensational interviews from Brett. Uh, Brett had a chance to talk to the FBI director and was one of the first, if not the first, second right after ABC to talk to John Bolton. Did a fantastic job in both counts. Uh, we're watching uh, the latest information because we're, there's a countdown to takedown of a Lincoln statue uh, symbolizing the Emancipation Proclamation with an African-American breaking his, uh, the bonds of slavery. They say they're going to rip it down at 7 o'clock tonight. The president is making it clear that's not going to happen. We'll talk about all that as well as get ready for President, uh, uh, president Trump's town hall with this guy named Sean Hannity. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've said all along, if the positivity rate or the hospitalization rate increase too much, we have strategies to reduce the spread of COVID-19 without having to return to stay-at-home policies. Governor Greg Abbott, a spike in Houston especially, uh, is very worrisome as 30 states see a rise in the COVID cases from Oklahoma to South Carolina. But another lockdown, thankfully, not on the table. Number two. This statue right here embodies the white supremacy and the disempowerment of black people. That is why we're tearing this statue down. Yeah, they're coming for Lincoln today. Uh, We just mentioned that. Well, it looks like the marshals and the National Guard will be guarding it, as well as the uh, park police. Meanwhile, the attacks on our history and the statues, monuments to commemorate uh, continue. You even have them going after people like Ulysses S. Grant and Union soldiers in Wisconsin. It makes absolutely no sense, and it's insulting to go after a past president. Uh, it looks like the president is putting a, an executive order on the books to make them pay for the destruction. Number one. What the decision today is really, it's a good thing for, for General Flynn. It's a good thing for me. It's a good thing for my family. But it's really a great boost of confidence for the American people in our justice system. Yeah, that is Michael Flynn. He is free, kind of. It seems like an appeals court finishes what William Barr started, and that's the exoneration of William of Michael Flynn uh, on those federal charges. Even more, uh, more uh, links and text messages emerge about this investigation, and it leads right to President Obama and Vice President Biden. And with me right now, and I see the calls out there, I'll get to them, but I want to bring in Eli Lake right away. Eli from the Bloomberg View, he's columnist there. His last article is about Michael Flynn, knows as much about anyone about this case. Eli, were you surprised the appeals court acted on a 2-1 margin like that? A little bit surprised, um, because if you follow the oral arguments, it appeared that you know, they they weren't open to the shenanigans of Judge Sullivan and, uh, you know, his lawyer and uh, the other judge that he brought into it, this Gleason guy. But it, it it's very rare that you would see a kind of Ritamandamus like this. And um, so I thought it was an incredibly favorable ruling. In some ways, sort of, if you read the uh, majority opinion from um, Judge Naomi Rao, what you get out of that is that she was kind of offended by the amicus brief that was filed by this Gleason guy, which was really just bringing in a lot of other things that were immaterial to the case. Um, When I read through that a few weeks ago, I remember thinking to myself, he kind of is really shading his facts. This reads much more like a blog post than a legal brief. Um, And so so embedded in her opinion, she really chastises him for that, as well as making the case. Now, one 
technical point, what she's ruling here is really a separation of powers point, which is that Judge Sullivan does not have the authority under the Constitution to replace the executive branch as the prosecutor. So if the prosecutor and the defendant both agree to drop the case, the judge doesn't have a standing to then say, I think you've made a mistake here. And, you know, no one has brought any evidence whatsoever that the process under which the Justice Department decided to drop the case was corrupted. Uh, You know, remember, this stemmed from a review from a U.S. attorney in St. Louis named Jensen. And, you know, so, so, you know, the the people who are whinging about this, and you see a lot of it on cable news, not obviously your network, and, um, you know, in some of the op-ed columns are really, it's just uh, the kind of last gasp of uh, the Russia Gators who have just watched their original narrative that if you go back to 2017, uh, collapse implies that it was sort of sudden, but I would say it has eroded and disintegrated and has left nothing but dust at this point. And I really do think that the Flynn case is, uh, you know, sort of shows all of that. And the substance of what was exposed, the documentation that was held uh, not just from the public, but also Flynn's defense counsel, are really extraordinary. Um, I, I don't like to use any kind of hyperbole, but I do think that, you know, and I've been very critical recently of Trump here, and I should say that, you know, I thought that, um, you know, his dismissal of the Bolton stuff was wrong. But on his point, if this had happened and if the roles were reversed, this was a Republican administration, an outgoing administration that did this to an incoming Democratic administration. He said that people would be getting 50 years in jail. I don't know if they would get 50 years in jail, but it would be an enormous scandal and we wouldn't stop talking about it. Right. The fact that uh, you still have people who are willing to defend this kind of thing. I think really says that we have a serious problem with the rule of law in this country. And that problem with the rule of law is not just things that Trump has done. It is the unwillingness of a whole cadre of progressives, Democratic lawyers and people who've worked at the high levels of the Justice Department and the FBI to acknowledge that they politicize the justice system. They criminalize in this case, the presidential transition. It's a huge problem, and that's one of the reasons why I write about that, even though I don't think anyone could say that I'm a, a, a Trumpist, as they say. I hear you, but let's, let's talk about this a little bit uh, right now, the simple side, who don't dive into it like you and I do, and you're, you're yeah. in another category. But they'll say, well, Michael Flynn lied. He admitted he lied. He went in front of the judge and said he lied, and now they want us to throw that out. Well, you know, we see this debate endlessly, especially in other channels. And we had we had it on ours yesterday and outnumbered. Uh, what changed? That that William Barr, he, you know, he is manipulating, just doing the president's work. What do you say to the people who say that? Well, it, I mean, it, it does take a little bit of unpacking here. I mean, the reason that he, can, he, he pled to one count of making false statements to the FBI was because he was threatened with a an, an highly unusual criminal prosecution of the Foreign Agents Registration Act for an unrelated contract that he had uh, you know, with an individual who was really cut out for the government of Turkey. Um, now, I have to say, I don't like that kind of practice, but it is quite common in Washington for people to use a law known as the Lobbying Disclosure Act as opposed to the Foreign Agents Registration Act to register for contracts that they have for think tanks, corporations, 
uh, to get around saying that they're lobbying. Let's for forget a the Turkey. Uh, let's forget that part. Let's just talk about yeah. did he lie about his conversation with Russia, and if he did, okay, and it's inconsequential. Go ahead. So, so, so these two things are unrelated. But the threat of that prosecution, and the threat that his son would be prosecuted, um, led him to sort of, you know, I guess you could say, uh, cut his losses. Because he believed that they would prosecute him. He was at this point already bankrupted, trying to legally fight um, the Mueller team, which had unlimited resources. And so he decided to say that he uh, made these false statements to the FBI in an interview on his fourth day of the job in the National Security Advisor. Here's a huge problem. The FBI agents did not said they did not detect any signs of deception and this is something that was supported in classified testimony by the deputy and director of the F- FBI. And Andrew McCabe had a quote. I'm not going to know it off necessarily at the top of my head. He said it was not a great way to start off a false statements case because the, F- the, the people who interviewed him didn't think he was lying. Yeah. That's a really important fact. That is a fact that was kept from both the public and Flynn's defense counsel until about two, two and a half months ago. And that's a really big deal. Now, there was a mention of this slightly in the House Republican report in 2018 on Russia. But if you remember, at that time, that report was disputed by everyone. It turned out that the Republicans on that committee, mainly Devin Nunes, were absolutely right about the, all of the problems and all of the deception that went into the FISA warrant for Car- Carter Page. But at the time, this was seen as sort of bogus information. Because I remember when I was reading it, I said, well, that's really extraordinary. But remember, the Democrats objected to almost everything in that report, and it was unclear what was happening. Now, that's why the documentation here was so important. And why did it take so long for that to become public? Well, it's because they, when it came to Flynn, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that the FBI didn't really care. They just wanted to get him. And so did Mueller. It didn't matter. Show me the man and I will find the crime. And the famous saying of Joseph Stalin's security chief, Beria. And that's what was going on here. Now, I don't want to compare us to Stalin's Soviet Union. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that this was an example of people who we entrust to enforce the law with objectivity, neutrality and fairness putting their thumb on the scale and using the law as a kind of political weapon. Gotcha. Never happened in this. All right. So let's move forward. I got it. Let's move forward real quick. Peter Strzok's note that emerged yesterday. We know this from Peter Strzok's notes about a January 5th conversation that included the vice president and president, as well as James Comey. The transcript roughly reads like this. Uh, Strzok shorthand. uh, D, meaning um, uh, Director Comey. VP, meaning uh, Biden and P being president, vice president, brings up the Logan Act, the president. These are unusual times. The vice president. I've been on the Intel Committee for 10 years. I've never, meanwhile, been, been using it. The president says, make sure you look over things and have the right people on it. The president says, is there anything I should be not be telling the transition team? And, Flynn, uh, and the director, Comey, says about Flynn, the Kislyak call appears legit. So it is the vice president who brings up the Logan Act. He can't be naive about it. It's the president that knew this case inside and out. And the director, Comey, of all people, says the call with Kislyak is legit. Okay, so first of all, that is extremely suggestive. 
And again, it's one of these things is why did it take three and a half years for this thing to come out? Why did it take so long for this to come out? But I would just caution here that it's fragmentary. These are notes from a conversation. We, we, there is a potential here that there's context that we do not know. And that's one of the reasons why I thought it was extreme. I thought it was intriguing, but I didn't put in my piece because I think at this point, there is so much evidence that is on the record and indisputable. There is so much independent scrutiny that's like, you know, just read the Horowitz report. This makes it in some ways worse. And it's really important in terms of understanding exactly what Obama knew and when he knew it and what Biden knew and when he knew it. I'm not saying it isn't significant. What I'm saying is, is that I want to make sure that this is as dispositive as all of the other evidence. And the fact is that it's fragmentary notes, and I don't know if there's other things that we're missing here in the context. We don't know the context of what Comey said here, whether it being legit, what was he referring to. Um, But it is troubling that the vice president and the current Democratic nominee to be the next president suggested a Logan Act uh, investigation. That, to me, is, uh, you know, sort of speaks in some ways to not only Biden's constitutional illiteracy, but it really, I mean, it's unbelievable that they would even consider this. He's an incoming national security advisor. And did anybody have any kind of force? It looks, I think, actually, that Sally Yates, the acting attorney general in the transition, she was somebody who was against, it turns out, against, you know, this idea of the Logan Act, according to a lot of the documentation that's come out. Um, but I'm, I'm really shocked. Was there anybody else in that meeting? And the White House has said, wait a second, we can't do this. Imagine if a Republican administration did this to incoming Democrats. It's nuts. Even and by the way, do, let me, Eli, your it. gut feeling, is this about getting Trump or getting Flynn? Did Flynn get under, I know he got fired. And I know as director of intelligence, he wanted to blow that whole thing uh, up. And when he went in there, he's going he's gonna to do it. Was this about Flynn or about Trump? I think it could be a little bit of both. I think that there was a sense that Trump posed um, a kind of moral, mortal danger to the republic. I and mean, that is what people believed in 2017, not just, as you know, Democrats. A lot of the so-called never-Trump Republicans believe that, um, that, they, that there was a, a, a permission structure called the resistance, which said we can do things that we would normally never do in order to get him. So I think that there was a combination here of trying to get Trump, and there was certainly a fear that Flynn himself was you know, a sort of maybe a a threat to the institutions. But I think that there was a real concern about foreign policy. When you look at some of the interviews that James Clapper, the uh, former director of national intelligence, gave in this period, one of the things he says is that he's really concerned about any kind of outreach to Russia after their interference in the 2016 election. And by the way, all of the other terrible things that Russia has done, I mean, I think it's important to say it's not just that. Russia has, you know, under Putin, Russia has been an absolute rogue state and a menace to its neighbors in the world. So there was a sense that, you know, that Trump was willing to kind of let all that go and pursue a sort of reset. The irony, of course, is that it was Obama that pursued a reset in his first term after Russia had invaded uh, the sovereign state of Georgia uh, that used to be a former Soviet Soviet Republic. So, that you know, if anybody knows about resets, it would be the Obama team. But here, here we are. Well, they got to do a good job outlining what's going on, and this is going to be something that is very relevant come election time. Eli Lake, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Look up well, his article, Michael Flynn's Redemption is a Victory for Justice. Hopefully we'll both be able to speak to him soon. Back in a moment with your calls. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Look, the people who are basically tearing down statues, trying to make a statement, are are basically borderline anarchists, the way I look at it. They really have no agenda other than the idea we're going to topple a statue because what? It's not going to close the wealth gap. It's not going to give a kid whose parents can't afford a college money to go to college. Bob Johnson, uh, CEO of uh, and founder of uh, BET, billionaire, just saying how, hey, uh, don't try to salute us because the black community sees through it. Uh, Dino, listening on KZRG in Joplin, Missouri. Dino. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Brian. Hey, I want to talk about your conversation with the statue on Chris Wallace. And hats off to you to know the history and some of the backgrounds of that statue. And Chris's comment is, well, that's where we need these conversations. I'm losing a lot of faith in Chris. But, yeah, we need to have conversations. But we're taking history out of our school, and now that we're destroying history. And, you know, if you don't know where you've been, how do you know where you're going? I, I and I just you. find it. 1876, that was the moment. That was the design. That was America at the time, coming off 400,000-plus dead. And you had Frederick Douglass, who knew Lincoln, reading the speech dedicating the statue with Ulysses S. Grant as President of the United States. That was then. I can't wait to see it. That's a piece of history. I'm not judging it. I'm observing it. And then I'll read about it, and it turns out that was a powerful way to describe African-Americans breaking free. So I think you have it. One thing I like, I I don't mind when people call and disagree. I like when Chris pushes back or uh, I have a different opinion on him uh, because he's he's extremely experienced, extremely smart, very curious. And I think it makes it a better show. So I I think that uh, don't misunderstand Chris. He's all red, white and blue, but he always loves to ask questions. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with Brett Baer. We finish up with you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other is Brian Kilmeade. I think the duty of loyalty that a senior official owes... Uh, is to the Constitution and people of the United States. We're not a feudal society. This is not the Middle Ages. We don't owe loyalty to an individual, particularly an individual who routinely undercuts his own advisors in conversations with other people. The president has talked about almost everything in this book at one level or another, and often simply not told the truth. So if the deal is the president gets to say whatever he wants and the American people don't get to hear the truth, is that the kind of society you want? Oh, that is John Bolton's question that he asked rhetorically uh, when questioned by Brett Baer, who after ABC, uh, I guess they signed with him, uh, 
Brett had the first interview and then another great interview last night with Christopher Ray. Brett Baer joins us now, Chief Political Anchor of Fox News, getting set to host his show at 6 o'clock tonight. Hey, Brett, what was your imp- – uh, thanks so much for joining us as usual. What a two days you've had, huh? Yeah, it's been busy. Wow. And then you got to prepare. It's not like you walk in and go, I'm sorry, what position? You- you're the FBI director? Uh, it's, <laughs> I mean, you- there's so much to prepare for. Uh, but for-, for John Bolton's book in particular – how odd was it being that you know him? I mean, he's been a contributor here for ten years, more maybe more. Yeah, it was it was odd in that um, obviously been in many a green room with um, with John Bolton, but I also knew him as uh, someone who kind of didn't hold back. So it wasn't like I was uh, afraid to ask any questions. Uh, everything was open open season. I read the book. And then all of the people that uh, have talked about it and about his position led to some of that line of questioning. So what would you think about that answer? Uh, Hey, the president gets to lie. Why can't I tell the truth? Yeah, I mean, that's fine. He can say that. Uh, But, you know, he took the job, obviously. The critics would say he took the job in the confidence of the president. And... um, and he trusted him to to do that job, and it seemed like in his 17 months, um, he was kind of organizing chapters of this book, and um, you know it, it compounded it when Democrats wanted him to testify in the impeachment, and um, and he chose not to. Uh, he has an explanation for everything, uh, but the bottom line is some people in the Trump administration questioned the accuracy of the the reporting in the book and some people on the democratic side say he was just in it for the profit, not the uh, patriotism. Chris Wallace just told us, he goes, he's, he's like James Comey. Both sides agree on one thing. Uh, they dislike him now. They're both angry at him. hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's clear. And even the people that, um, you know, worked with him for many years, uh, had a problem. I asked him about that and, um, you know, he, 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 Back to George W. Bush, who said he didn't think he was credible. Um, he doesn't have a long track record of, of making people happy around him. Uh, but he seems to relish that. And uh, obviously, he's selling a lot of books. So he was. So one, a couple of things that I think are true, that you definitely sacrificed the national interest. Because if I'm Kim Jong-un or the foreign minister, and I was in that meeting— if I'm the South Korean leader and I was in that meeting, if I'm the Saudi Arabian uh, uh, king and, or, or prince and I'm in that meeting, all these meetings are exposed and get his impression of what happened behind closed doors. There's no way that's in our national interest, Brett. That's not my opinion. There's no way it is. Well, I mean, listen, the South Koreans have already said that on the record. They said this really hurt national security and the trust between the two countries. I mean, what leader— looking at John Bolton with his notepad and adjusting his glasses in the back of the room is going to feel free to say exactly what he feels to President Trump if he feels like it's going to be on page 60 in some book. The other, the other thing that I think is, is pretty clear is that... So let me, ask, let me yeah. add this. I've talked to a lot of people who yeah. say, you know, we should set up a system much like we have with lobbying and Capitol Hill. When you leave Capitol Hill, you have to you have to wait a little time before you take the money from Washington and K Street, and you lobby your your um, colleagues. Well, maybe there's a a rule that if you take a job that's sensitive inside the White House, that you have to wait a little while before you cash in 
on a book. Yes. I didn't think you'd have to actually put that in writing, but I guess you do. I remember General Mattis and General Kelly says, you know, when he's in office, I'm not writing it. Mattis felt bad that he wrote about Biden. He said, I never thought Biden was going to run for president again. So, you know, General Mattis is not happy with President Trump. And he made that clear after this, this, uh, the St. John's Church stroll, uh, which was anything but smooth. But he didn't write it. And he just wrote a book. And he didn't put it in there. And I just thought that was the way you do it. So the, que- the other question is, I think, is true. It's not going to help the president get elected. I mean, they're going to say the person closest to him for 18 months feels, uh, thinks he's not worthy of the office. So here's what John Bolton told you about the election in November. Cut 48. I've known Joe Biden for a long, long time and been on the opposite side of almost every issue. And we've also crossed swords on foreign and national security policy for a long time. Uh, and I'm not I'm not going to vote for uh, for for him. The, the difference between Biden and Trump is that Biden has a view and Trump has no view on any given day. Any any decision is possible. It's just not true. And uh, that was the thing about Biden, that is true. And the thing is, he is helping. Biden, Right. Yeah, I mean, indirectly, he's 100 percent helping Biden and it'll be in a Biden ad. I mean, be sure that John Bolton will appear in a Biden ad at some point. Um, He can say he wants to write in a conservative, but in essence, he's helping Biden. And, you know, his other thing is he says he wants to be on the campaign trail for GOP senators to hold the Senate. I'm not sure how many GOP senators are going to want the John Bolton campaign bus rolling around. Maybe Mitt Romney. Maybe. He's not up for election, but... But uh, Mitt Romney's not exactly a John Bolton guy either. That's true. Uh, put it this way, I love to have him in. I mean, I, I've always got along with him great. I met with him since he took the job. He just mentioned that he mentioned to me a couple of times that it's very intense in there. Never ripped him to me. In fact, the one text message he sent to me after the debacle on the Kim Jong-un second summit in Vietnam was, I've never been prouder of the president for walking away from the second summit. Because he says yeah, there was I, no listen, deal he to be said had. That, He said that publicly. And then when pressed about didn't Kim Jong-un get something by sitting at the table and then walking around Vietnam and being courted, um, Bolton said the president didn't think so. You know, uh, and uh, he thought so, but yeah. the president didn't think so. So you, you talked to Christopher Ray yesterday. Did you know him before? I met him a few times and uh, had been working to try to get the interview for a long time. He why do you sat think down he did, in about nine why, months. Why do you think he did it with you now? I think they want to start clearing the air before this Durham report comes out. Um, there's a lot of things that are going to be ugly in this report midsummer, and um, I, I don't. I, I think he tiptoed through some of those answers, uh, but I, I think that they want to start addressing the fact that they've got agents working with Durham. Uh, they are trying to be transparent, as transparent as possible. The Flynn people obviously didn't think so. And with all this exculpatory evidence that came out after the Flynn trial was way down the road. You know, here's the analogy I, I, um, that I have. For example, you're a big Nationals fan. And if the Nationals win or losing, you're 
you're emotional, let's say, even you, Brett Bear. And but yet the players are calm. I always look at Chris Ray as, yeah, these are the facts, but you know, look how emotional these Republicans are getting and these Democrats are getting. And especially Republicans, because he was appointed by a Republican, he just was unflappable. He didn't seem that interested. He was never speaking out. He never expresses his dissatisfaction with his predecessor, uh, James Comey. He never was picking up the mantle. He wasn't quick to react to what Republicans' request was. And it reminded me of how fans react to their team. They act with emotion. And Christopher Ray didn't seem as though he wanted to play that game. But I thought this was telling. It showed that a lot of the people that have said that there was that the Obama administration acted in an unsavory way leading up to the transition. He now sees merit in that statement. Cut nine. On the crossfire hurricane matter uh, that's the subject of the IG report, I think it describes conduct that is unacceptable, period, full stop, and cannot be allowed to happen and will not be allowed to happen. In but whether it's criminal FBI. or not. The criminal decisions, charging decisions, prosecution decisions are not made by the FBI director. Those were made by, across the street, at the Justice Department, by the prosecutors. But somebody here altered that FISA report, and that would be a criminal offense, right? And that individual no longer works at the FBI, and I don't want to get out in front of the Durham investigation. So, what did that... Exactly. You see what he did there? He took responsibility in that it's not going to happen again, and he's going to say how this is unacceptable and egregious. Um, But when pressed about the guy who actually we know committed the crime, uh, he said he's not there and he doesn't want to get ahead of the Durham investigation. My guess, after talking to the Attorney General and Chris Ray, is that that person is facing criminal charges but now is cooperating with the Durham investigation in some other way, shape, or form. And there is a grand jury that had to take time off uh, because of COVID that is back in full steam. And I think we get the Durham report in July wow. at some point. Uh, and if they waited too much longer, we would never get it. So, Brett, what do it you gets th- too close to the election. Yeah, Brett, Brett, what do you think of the text message from Peter Strzok that we now got, which was his notes on a conversation that we believe was January 5th? that the vice president does seem to be the one to bring up the Logan Act. I think that is really something that Joe Biden is going to have to answer for after his answer to George Stephanopoulos about not knowing about the investigation and then coming back and saying, oh, I knew about the investigation, but that's all. Well, no, if he's if Peter Strzok's notes are accurate and it's the vice president who brings up the Logan Act as the umbrella to launch this investigation against Flynn. You know, we're extrapolating from those notes, but it does line up in that January 4th meeting. And um, I, I think it's something that the Biden camp and Joe Biden are going to have to ask, answer for. I actually never thought it got to Biden. If you asked me a year ago, year and a half ago, it just, hey, the last few months of the year, Biden's got, you know, that's it. I'm probably going to retire. <laughs> Uh, or whatever he wanted to do, you wouldn't think the vice president would be in a meeting in the transition doing something as substantial as in essentially latching on on the transition to this new administration. I mean, yeah, I'm astounded. I, mean, I always thought you did, the president just got the bubble wrap and they just got ready to go. I can't believe how hard these guys never wanted to let go. 
Yeah, and, and think about this. This is 16 days before the next president is sworn into office. 16 days. And they're wondering, should I be? Should I tell the president and his team the intelligence necessary to run the country, like on Russia? And Comey Meanwhile, said, "Yeah, Comey is doing uh, interviews and and debriefings in part to get information from the Trump campaign, right? Uh, as the investigation continues, because they fundamentally didn't dis, didn't uh, they fundamentally didn't trust them." The other word that Comey uses in that conversation, according to Peter Strzok's notes, is the Kislyak conversation is legit. I mean, between Flynn and Kislyak. Yeah. So I think there's more to know. I really do think that the Durham report is going to shed a lot of light. Um, from everything I've heard, it's going to be detailed. You know, but there are a lot of people out there who say, you know, what is going to come of this? We've seen this story many times where investigations are promised and just kind of fizzles into the night. And uh, we'll see. I will say this. I know you got to run, but I will say this. This is what you have for real, whether it's a Trump rally or Trump debate. Joe, you sat there in the Oval Office and you were plotting and planning to make my first year miserable. You were unearthing, you were unearthing and upending my national security advisor at the highest level. It was you that tried to mine out the Logan Act and say it was you that ruined a man's life who's a, who's a decorated military war veteran who killed Turkey. He has a lot to go with. with that the, Now Biden can't say, well, you got it wrong. You know, which, is, which is why the Trump campaign wants four debates. Yeah, they do. Uh, real quick, on the final thing, the Siena poll, the other poll, the Marquette poll shows the president trailing nationally by double figures and in every battleground state. How accurate, how worried would you be if you're the Trump campaign? I think you're worried. I think it's, you know, you can make uh, questions, raise questions about all different kinds of individual polls. Um, but the collection of polls, both battleground state and overall, is, uh, you know, is starting to build up. And he's had, you know, from a political standpoint, a number of weeks where he's taken body blows. And I think that, uh, you know, we have state polls, battleground state polls coming out tonight at 6 p.m. And I'll have somebody from the Trump campaign and the Biden campaign uh, to talk about the state of the race. But, um, But I think right now, if the election were held today, Biden is in position to win. The election's not held today, and uh, we have a long way to go. Yup, and one has to leave his basement eventually, according to reports. Brett, two fan- <laughs> seriously fantastic interviews. I really regret not texting you. I totally forgot. Uh, it was fantastic. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, buddy. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I went a little over, but I'm going to get to some of your calls and some final thoughts at this hour. Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Just let me tell you, if you ever missed the show live, and I hope you never do, and you want to use the podcast, uh, iHeartRadio has just decided to carry the podcast, so it's great. So hopefully you'll go on and be able to do it. I listen to iHeart all the time um, through my iPhone. How's that? Uh, so make sure you always call one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Let's go out to the villages. Mark, you've been very patient. Mark, 
Hey, Brian, you need to load up that RV and come back out to the villages. We're missing you. I know. Um, the point I'm making is, can you imagine the amount of corruption there would have been if Hillary had gotten in there? And it's already showing now with Biden and Hunter and all that. This country is it would be devastated if he gets into office because of the corruptness that there already is in this country. Well, I mean, people are really upset at Trump about all the firings and the personnel switches and his uh, and the and the way in which he governs. You don't think people would be settled down because Joe Biden is so experienced? I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's experienced, experienced at lying. I mean, he doesn't tell the truth about anything. And now with all this other stuff with the Flynn case and everything and Obama's involved in it, how can you actually trust these people to get into office and they're going to run this country? There's a lot of fight left, but I tell you, the president does have to come back from behind to do it. His best asset will be Joe Biden's candidacy. Thanks, Mark. Uh, And unfortunately, that's going to have to be where we end it. Uh, This is Brian Kilmeade. Go to briankilmeade.com. You can order Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. We're going to have a special on that. Uh, That is coming out on July 4th. You're going to hear it right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Next Sunday, 10 o'clock, I'm going to do a special, What Made America Great for Fox Nation. But you're going to see it on Fox News Channel first. Inside the White House, it includes an interview with the president. What being in that building that is 230 years old means to him. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.